Hey, I'm Corey. And I'm Lori. And this is the Nourish Circle Podcast. Join the band as we gather in our Nourish Circle and talk all things weight-inclusive, haze, non-diet, and whatever else is nourishing us. Today's episode is brought to you by our Join the Band Teespring store. Click the link in our show notes to check out our badass non-diet dietitian merchandise. In today's episode, we talked with Julie Duffy Dillon. Julie Duffy Dillon is a nutrition therapist, a registered dietitian, a podcaster of the Love Food Podcast, an eating disorders specialist, and author. If you haven't checked out Julie's blog where she writes about peace with food and PCOS, please check it out. Links are in our show notes. Julie offers a variety of services to clients as well as to other clinicians. And you would definitely want to check out Julie's podcast. Julie's favorite saying is food peace. It's not letting yourself go. It's letting yourself be. In this episode, we talk to Julie about her advocacy work and work with clients living with PCOS. We also talked about Julie's adventure with the learning and unlearning in health at every size and non-diet approaches, and some supports that Julie has found helpful in working through this process. We also talked about the Love Food podcast and inspirations to the concepts of food writing back, and we also asked Julie what's currently nourishing. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Nourished Circle podcast. Hi, Julie. Corey and I are so excited to have you on the Nourished Circle today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for asking me. I'm excited to talk to both of you. Hey, so are we. We've been kind of texting <laughs> for the last couple of days about this. Um, so one way we like to start is you identify as a fat positive RD. Um, can you tell folks about what that is and um, maybe let us know any identi- identities or privileges or frameworks that you work from? Um, I identify as a white cisgender uh, female and I'm married to a man. And um, economically, I'm in a place where um, things are... Um, not in a place where I have I, I have the be able to, to I have the ability to make my schedule have space for things like these interviews and um, to podcast and I have some flexibility that um, allows me to do a lot of this work um, and I'm I'm very I'm grateful for that and I also need to name that because sometimes these opportunities people can't have because mm-hmm. they need to um, be able to have a, an hour where they're making income to bring home and um, so I just want to name that and um, as a clinician. I am a registered dietitian and I also have a master's degree in mental health counseling. I'm not licensed as a counselor. I basically did that training to become a more, what I put in the um, interview, a more effective and efficient dietitian. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, um, so when I talk to clients and when I teach about eating behavior, a lot of times people say I sound like a therapist. And I, and I also, I, I really feel like my brain is probably more wired like most therapists. I'm not very detail oriented like most of our dietitian colleagues. And uh, I'd like the big picture. And um, I also only practice from a health at every size informed um, 
approach and um, non-diet interventions. And this started around, um, I was kind of on the fence around 2005, pretty firm, 2006, 2007. So it's been a number of years and uh, I love training other healthcare providers to do the same. And I know you asked about being a fat positive dietitian and I started using that name um, probably about 10 years ago. And um, I'm someone that uh, feels a lot of things before I think. (laughs) And and, uh, I remember like, I don't know who, I wish I could say who I first saw use that term. I don't know. Um, So I didn't come up with it, of course, but um, I just remember being like, that's it. That's it. And um, I have a funny story about it because whenever I go to um, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics annual meeting, you know, the fancy meeting, um, Rebecca Scritchfield always calls it the Super Bowl for dietitians. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I have a, a shirt that says fat positive dietitian and I have like a little name badge that I'll like a little sticky thing you can put like those little um, ribbons you can put on your badge that say fat positive. And um, I get people in the vending area or dietitians who don't do the work that we do. They'll say fat positive. Does that mean um, you promote a certain diet? Like I don't want to name the diet just in case. Yeah. But- um, and so I'm like, Oh no, like people don't know what this word means or this phrase means. And, um, as I think about why that, that connected so much to me is when I'm sitting across from a client, um, my intention is for them to, um, I want them when they're sitting with me as much as I can contribute to the experience of feeling at home in their body. Um, and again, I, I have privileges and my lived experiences are they don't match most of my clients. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of work I always need to be doing. And I also appreciate, I'm not going to understand their lived experience. Um, I can just learn from Mm -hmm. it. And, um, but yeah, so fat positive for me, um, what it's saying is um, I see you and I hear you and I believe you, you know, so many of our clients, especially as dietitians, we hear clients saying that they're not eating very much or they're uh, moving their body this large amount and nobody seems to believe them because why would they still be this higher weight? And I want to tell them, I believe them. And um, I also want to help you meet your goals, whatever they are going to be. And I'm not going to expect weight change to be a part of that. And um, uh, yeah, so I don't, it's, it's one of those things that I find it's hard to put words to, but so far Mm -hmm. that's how I've described it. And um, I think it's also really important to um, it is something that is uncomfortable for a lot of dietitians to hear when I describe myself as a fat positive dietitian, but I appreciate when I was in the early stages of moving towards a health and size dietitian, I had a lot of cognitive dissonance that kept me up at night. Um. And, um, I think when I say that I'm, when I am introduced as a fat positive dietitian or when I meet a dietitian and I say I'm a fat positive dietitian, I see the dissonance in their eyes. And I think provoking that is really important um, because I want to be a part of changing culture. And so identifying in that way and naming it and making it a part of the conversation, um, I want to be a part of that conversation. So, yeah. That's so cool. Do you want to know a secret? I'm wearing your fat positive t-shirt. Dietitian. Oh, that makes me I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to get prepared for the interview and wear the t-shirt. <laughs> That's awesome. Love it. Handling all of your brilliance in that <laughs> into the t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> well, cognitive dissonance is definitely a term I keep hearing and just even the research we're seeing around this work. And that's kind of stemming into that question we wanted to ask you about knowing this work is 
often something that stirs up a lot of cognitive dissonance, a lot of challenges, whether it's, you know, personally, professionally. We're just wondering if there's a challenge that whether sticks out in your mind or maybe one you've dealt with more recently in doing this work that you could share with folks that are listening in a way almost to normalize that we're all dealing with these challenges and these struggles and, and maybe some tips or even things that you found helpful to work through some of those tough situations we have in this work. Huh, let's see. So an example of my own cognitive dissonance, um, gosh, I mean, there's, there's definitely lots of examples that are personal that I'm like, mm, I don't think I'm ready to talk about that. But what I can say, because um, there's definitely like always work. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, I think as clinicians, we need to be willing to you to do and it has to take up a certain amount of bandwidth you know and that's why this work is so great but also um exhausting because we need to do that and um especially if we want to help people who are um being marginalized and um we have privilege like we need to we need to be able to um really stick our neck out there mm-hmm. and one thing that i can appreciate about um in particular as a clinician is I'm thinking back to when I was pretty firmly rooted in Hayes informed care, um, you know, had been practicing as a non-diet dietitian for gosh, I mean, it had to be at least 10 years. And I remember I was just working with a client um, and the, 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 the client was someone who had lots of, um, medical stuff going on. Um, I'm really trying to be careful to make sure I don't reveal anything that could be um, a HIPAA thing, but um, so all non-identifying information, but basically the person had lots of uh, medical conditions going on. And this person um, was starting to doubt the the work I was doing. And I started to doubt it too. Mm-hmm. And um, the person's therapist was someone who was also a haze informed therapist and also newer to it. And so I, what I noticed is at times one of us would sometimes doubt it. And this was before we had a lot of more accessible supervision and especially as dietitians. And um, so the two of us, I remember we would always connect and thankfully we never were in a place of doubt um, on the, in the process of healing, you know, um, thankfully it was <laughs> like one of us versus the other, but I can remember like, holding space in my head for healing, which, you know, help helping someone to feel at home in their body uh, unconditionally, and then holding the space of health. And um, the person was not in a place where they were making changes that my fix it dietitian brain was oh. like, uh, this would fix it, you know, and they were not in a place doing those changes. And, um, I knew in my heart that I needed to just sit on my hands and like, my job is not to fix my, my job is to sit with this person and um, give them space to do the work that they are going to do. And Mm -hmm. that's not up to me. Um, And uh, so what helped me get through it was definitely peer supervision. I would have, I have a supervisor now that I connect with. I would have connected with that person if I had that person at the time. Um, And I think to the more we have things like these podcasts, right? Like we have these conversations where I know that it's not abnormal to doubt it because the work we're doing is countercultural. And so I have my own fat phobia, you know, I have my own healthism and I'm more aware of that now. 
because of things like your podcast and like th these kinds of ways of communicating. And um, so if someone's in that place where they're connecting with this dissonance, like knowing that that's normal and like, it's also like an amazing burst of energy that's going to take you somewhere really important. If you kind of mm. can go with which one, you know, is the right one, you know? So, and that's what I did. <laughs> so. Wow. That's a really great way to frame that of it's kind of like anger when I first learned about, well, not first learned about anger, but when I first started noticing anger with working in this profession, I was kind of looking at it as a negative. Mm -hmm. so I really did some work on, well, can I channel that anger in a way that's useful and use it as a place to recognize whether it's the cognitive dissonance, the exhaustion, the compassion fatigue, the trauma, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it is that's fueling it. It's really just kind of that, that emotion to help me notice, like you said, what direction do I need to go with this? Mm -hmm. So I really love how you can frame that, that we're all working through. We all have these things. We can be more aware of them. And then we know what resources, thankfully, because they're more visible yeah. I think we've always been there. We just haven't really always had that connection to them, mm -hmm. especially for those that are marginalized and oppressed. It's harder to, I think, find those voices when you're living with privilege mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of, of just the, probably the fear and the safety of being able to speak to someone living with privilege, I'm sure is a whole other podcast in itself. And it's just great that we have that community that's building to be able to do that work together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the cognitive dissonance can feel so bad, but it doesn't make us bad. Um, right. And yeah. what we need to do is do the work that's hard to um, do what's right, you know, and what's just and, um, and be able to sit with that really tough experience because yeah, especially for those of us in places of privilege, um, people who are not in the places of privilege are experiencing that toughness times a million Mm -hmm. all the time. So yeah. Um, yeah. I love this conversation. Oh. <laughs> it feels yeah. so therapeutic. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, should I call my therapist and reschedule? Like, <laughs> I'm good for another. I'm kind of working it out right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, Wait, if I can add to that, Lori, I don't know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but I was sharing with Lori a couple of days ago, we were having a family dinner and there was like, I don't know, 15 of us all sitting down and knowing they're probably not going to listen to this podcast. However, <laughs> if they do, I'm glad. And, and it, it's really just about, you know, when, when you're dealing with even family, friends, colleagues, you know, clients, this happens too, where you're emotionally charged, you really care. And I think that's what happens mm -hmm. whether you're a dietitian, a nurse, a social worker. You're, you're usually in this profession because you have so much compassion and kindness that you want to share with the world. And when you hear of a family member who is making choices that are sort of causing certain things or contributing to certain things, maybe not causing... Um, and, and you see other family members who really want to anxiously help and project their diet centric voice on top of that family member. And you see it happen in front of you. It's amazing. What I really feel now is like, okay, how do I explain like this hundred years of work <laughs> to this family member in a way that's not you know, too emotionally charged because it's a family member. 
and, and in a way that shows that kindness and compassion. And it was really interesting to see what happened because of so many of the messages in our family going on, how the other family members took on this one family member. Um, so I just wondered with your, you know, doing the work that you do, when you encounter those situations where you can see that diet-centric messaging, but coming from someone who's very caring and compassionate, and there is that dissonance there, is there tips and tricks that you use to kind of witness that? Or do you say something? Do you not say something? Is there kind of a method you have? Because that's a question I get from a lot of colleagues is when they see things happening, they, they're not always sure what to do. Mm-hmm. And that was a big yeah. question. Yeah. And I, I need to just know, I just need to make sure you know that I don't think I do like perfect at this in any shape or form. And that's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't, and I um, struggle with that as well. And um, cause I'm thinking through situations, which of course I have those kinds of situations. Um, we live in this fat phobic culture. Like we haven't been able to come up with this cave system or bubble system where we can just right. all feel protected and safe. Oh, but, yes. um, and it's so loud. It's so loud. Um, and I, I really find that it was really stressful for me before I understood my privileges and before, and I, I should not say understood, like as, before I really started to sit with that and understand that more, I'm still learning. But, um, and what has helped me, especially for family members, I feel like I can sp- speak to that part first, is um, when family members bring up diet-centric, fat-phobic type of things, um, because of that emotional charge um, and the complicated dynamics based on which family member it would be, um, I have to really, in my head, I have to really name what I'm seeing. And I, I take that from a kind of a feminist approach to, to name um, the 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 oppressor in that moment Mm -hmm. and um for a lot of it it's uh fat phobia diet culture you know something like that like naming it um like it's this other person in the room that's controlling the conversation and for me that helps to bring down the emotion to a, a more tolerable level um and helps me just to be able to think more my feet and you know i am someone that feels a lot before i think like i said and i just it it takes me a long time to come up with what I want to say in just about any situation, period, you know, whether there's emotion or not. And so in these situations, um, when I've made mistakes, I have felt really bad about it when I haven't spoken up. And I, I said to you earlier, like, it doesn't make you a bad person. I said that because like, that's what I have worked on in my own therapy is mm-hmm. when I don't speak up, it doesn't make me a bad person and I can do better. Um, and cause that, um, that I feel like that keeps me even stuck longer. I'm not a bad person by making these mistakes and I need to contribute to making the world safer for everyone. So I need to speak up more. So um, sometimes that's what I've been doing lately has been like um, naming in my head. Okay. That's diet culture affecting this family member or friend. Um, Do not engage in it. If my children are around, I'll respond in a certain way. If they're not around, I will respond probably with more cussing. And, <laughs> and, and honestly, the people who know me very well, um, I've already like said it enough that um, they don't talk about it in front of me that often. And I have a really good group of uh, friends from college um, 
and they don't work in anything like I do. We, and we all live across the country, but we get together at least once a year. And for the most part, they don't talk about, um, you know, diets and weight very much, um, or bodies in general because of when I'm around, but sometimes, especially after a few margaritas, sometimes it comes out and, and they're always before I even have to say anything, another one of the group will say, Oh, y'all are crossing the line. This is that Julie will, is going to shut it down. And then they'll, yeah. they'll change it on their own. Um, which is, I mean, I feel like they're, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, again, I don't think it's perfect, but they know that this is just not, I don't tolerate that. Like I don't tolerate any racial jokes, yeah. uh, you know, and um, not saying that, that my friends do those, uh, but, but you know, it's like, it's in the same place. Like I don't tolerate this conversation. And um, yeah, I, I feel like either deciding when to engage or not to engage and how I'm going to do that um, just depends. And um, my goal for myself is to speak up more um, especially with people who are close to me, I feel like, cause those are the people that I have the most ability to help, um, change their way they're viewing bodies. So it, those are more uncomfortable though, right? Like yes. I feel like they can be, but I feel like it's important for me to make those hardest conversations. Those are also probably the ones that have the most power. So, um, that's kind of been my goal for moving forward. Oh, that was so helpful. Thank you. I'm glad because I feel like it was like mud. Like it just no, no. <laughs> no. It was like the lotus flower in the mud, honestly. Okay. That's what I symbolize. Oh, <laughs> knowing lotus flowers need to grow in mud. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know and, that. <laughs> yeah. I learned that in yoga training. Okay. I but learn new things here all the time. I yeah. think the piece that really stuck out for me when you said about when you don't say anything, that doesn't make you a bad person. Because mm-hmm. yes. I think that is kind of my default is that I sometimes am so emotionally charged that I have to say something because I will like physically be ill if I don't. Mm-hmm. And then there's times when I don't and I feel physically ill. And then that thought pattern of you should have said something is that like diet centric mentality sneaking mm-hmm. in on you in your activism. So Lori and I were talking about how much diet culture can impact in so many areas of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I, something that I, um, I know for me, it connects to my trauma history. I think that's what I've been able to pinpoint why it makes me feel like I'm a bad person. And, um, that in a way I should be doing more. Like I have to honor that. And by me getting stuck in a self-absorbed shame spiral is not going to be helping anybody. And, um, one of my favorite Instagram accounts is, um, it's called, um, the nap ministry. I love that one. That is my favorite. And I have had like some dialogues with the person behind it. I don't know who the person is. Um, And it's a person that's advocating for marginalized communities and I'm not in a marginalized, you know, identity. Um, And some of the conversations I've had is like, um, I've been using naps and rest to be able to sort through that trauma that comes up whenever I do speak up so I can speak up more often, you know? And so I, um, boundaries for me has been something that's really helped me, you know, making sure I have enough time, um, to not just be like working, working, working. So then, um, I can take care of myself so that I have more bandwidth to be able to do this type of work. Um, yeah. So that, if you don't know the net ministry, check it out. It's my favorite. 
my I favorite. I think it, I found it through you. I think you shared something. And I was I like, always share their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, so good. Um, and it's interesting that you say that. The, I've been working through recently um, the realization of me living in diet culture with regards to my work and mm-hmm. always feeling the need to do all the things and be all the things and um, kind of that striving for that that goal that isn't really attainable or ever really there. Um, and I loved how you talked about letting yourself have naps and setting boundaries in your professional life. Um, it's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of work. Um, you've had so many, like I've been sitting here doodling words beside myself. You've had so many <laughs> points that I wanted to kind of follow up on. But one thing that's really stood out um, for me when you were talking is um, you mentioned supervision a few times and how it's something that um, I think when I first discovered you like on your podcast, the love food podcast, which people should definitely check out um, it, you talk about supervision and that, and it just, I always felt like you were coming from a place of um, very honestly saying I am continuing to learn and I'm continuing to grow and I don't know, and I don't live in this um, space. And so I'm going to bring on a guest who, you know, has more expertise than I do. Um, and so that kind of brings me to your podcast a little bit about how, um, it's people write in to food and then food writes back, which is just so stunning. And I love how you said about your friends drinking margaritas because in your intro that <laughs> yeah, that's right. was that grab a coffee or a margarita. And I was like, I love her. Um, <laughs> and, um, but um, where was I going with this? Uh, but your pocket, like I was kind of interested in how you came up with that idea of food writing back because that's so powerful mm. um, because the people that write in um, have so many different struggles um, with food or with their bodies. And it's just so beautiful that food writes back in a positive, sustaining, nourishing way. Mm. Oh, I, thank you. Those are, that, those are very kind words. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, the, the, I knew I have a very creative side. Like I said, I'm not the typical dietitian. I've always felt kind of out of, like, I didn't fit in much with dietitians because I am a very creative, uh, person. I feel really deeply. And, um, I don't know if you all know much about an any the Enneagram, but I'm a four wing five. So, I mean, I'm just like, yeah, I feel all the time and I can just sit in melancholy for weeks. <laughs> and, so, um, and so um, like feelings to me have like textures and temperature. And, um, and so I, I needed a space to do work that we do with clients that had that ability to have like texture, you know, and color to them. And um, so podcasting was something that I've wanted, I wanted to do for like five or six years, but I had young children, you know, that, that takes out my creative energy right there. And um, so as they were getting older, I started looking into podcasting. I, I remember taking like an online course on like how to podcast. And um, the person who was one of the coaches in it talked about how like trying to find a way to make sure people listen to the end. And that this person had the, something called a hack at the end. And so they always told person in the, in the beginning, like, Hey, listen to the end. And all it was like a business podcast and all, and I'll have this hack like business hack at the end that we learned from interviewing this guest. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. And I, when I was going through like how I would build the show up and like what I would do, I kept thinking about like, I don't want to center myself as an expert. Like I am not someone who understands this experience and I shouldn't 
bullshit people into thinking that I like really know everything about this because this this is a conversation, mm-hmm. and um, and that's why the whole like coffee or margarita. I was like, I want it to be more of like let's just bring all the mess out and sort through it and decide what we want to do with it and not make it tidy and um, make it just um, like a, I don't, I don't want to call it real, but just like make it just what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, do y'all remember, do y'all listen to Dear Sugar, that podcast? Yeah, uh, I have, yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's one that's not on anymore, but Dear Sugar was a podcast that where people wrote in to the guests. And of course, I can't think of their names right now. I know you all may, Shale Strayed was one of them. I can't remember the, the man in the show, but anyway, and they answered it. And I was like, Ooh, I like that. And I'm like, what if people can write a letter to food and then I can answer it and I can bring on guests. And, um, you know, I have this side that loves to write and do art. And, um, I just was like, I'm going to have food right back. And part of being a therapist, you learn all these different counseling techniques and Mm -hmm. theories and narrative therapy is one that I really connected to. And that's where you like write a letter to a chair who was, that was in the room where you experienced the trauma and you you can, you know, write a letter to it and talk about what the experience. Uh, I don't know. That's just like a random example. I just pulled out, but uh, it's when you personify something and then you talk to it and it's part of the healing process. And so that's when I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and I didn't know if people would write letters. I was really worried. Um, mm-hmm. I had a couple interns working for me at the time. And I said, you may need to help me write some letters. <laughs> I may not get any. And, um, but I was like, I can't. But I, I knew I couldn't bullshit it because I don't have that lived experience. I can't write the letters, you know. Yeah. Right. So, um, so but people wrote letters. So, I mean, it, it's worked out fine. And um, I feel like I'm so grateful that people – go through that process of being vulnerable to write down these experiences and reach out for help and, and ask me for it. And, um, and yeah, so listening to the end, I always hope that um, foods letter back is something that kind of summarizes what we talked about, but also says it in a way that way that's therapeutic, you know, that's like, let's make amends, you know? Um, So yeah, for me, selfishly, it's been a really wonderful creative outlet that I'm very grateful for. Um, it's helped me to not burn out. Like I think I was starting to burn out, not, not think I was starting to burn out. And the, the podcast is something that helped me not because it's allowed me to have this way to express my work in a different way. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Cause I was listening to Brene Brown. I don't know. I can't even remember. It was something online that she had done for parenting and she was talking about how, and I've seen this in even like trauma stewardship and, and just compassion fatigue. If we don't have that creative outlet, which often in nutrition, depending where you're working, there may be little space for that, or you may just not have the bandwidth to be creative because of what's going on for you. And having that creative side to channel that energy to do the work that we do is so important because it will give you that energy and that drive and whatever it is that you feel you need to be able to do more of this work. And I, I think I can speak for myself, but I've seen it too. Um, even with Lori is that we, we, we get so creative from doing this because it nourishes us so much to speak to folks like you who mm-hmm. just get it and are committed to doing the work. Hmm. Yeah, it is. It's like selfishly like a nourishing experience. And I, it's funny that we're using, using that word, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I agree. It's, it's something that definitely gives back. 
Oh yeah. I totally say this is my, my self-care selfish time. It's <laughs> my, I, I just fills my cup up to sound like my children. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I thought some of the letters that have been sent in are so heart-wrenching. And, um, like, I've cried in my car. Like, I listen to podcasts when I drive. Um, and driving, listening to some of them, like, I can't even imagine how difficult it is sometimes to do that because you probably want to ask follow-up questions mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of just go into your counseling RD mode. Mm -hmm. Um but it's just so beautiful how you just kind of step back. And I was thinking, oh, my God, we don't have a hack for our. <laughs> you don't need a hack. No. You don't need a hack. No. You're giving me some ideas. <laughs> well, we just, we just jumped in and no one yeah. took a course. <laughs> no, we didn't take a course. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny when you say that um, you don't identify with a lot of dietitians because I every year I'm always like well I wonder if this is the year the college is going to be like no you're not a dietitian we made a mistake <laughs> you know I mean at least once a month I have a dream where I have to go back to my undergrad and take a class that I forgot to take oh really be a dietitian and they're like we're going to take away your license you got to yeah. go back and, but I, I loved college like so it's kind of like I in this dream it's like this like dichotomy of like I'm so sad I miss my family but Oh, I get to go back and hang out at my college, <laughs> live in a dorm. And then I'm like, oh no, I got to finish this class. And it's like a biochem class or something. Uh, oh, it's fun. not even like a nutrition, like yeah. that'd be fun. That's <laughs> so funny. I think those of us that aren't like the, I, I want to say stereotypical because I don't have another word, uh, dietitian kind of all have moments of that. Mm -hmm. of, how did I actually get here? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, because I have many moments of, yeah, I think I'm still there. Um, <laughs> but and, yeah, but I, I personally love the space I'm in right now. So. Me too. Me too. And I've found people like me, like you all, you know, that are thinking of things differently and um, bigger picture and more from a social justice lens. And it's just, it's nice to, um, that I was able to connect with more people that, you know, yeah. Looked like me or not necessarily look like me because they all, all dietitians, I should, not all, but unfortunately the way that the, the program is designed is so many dietitians look the same, you know, but uh, mm -hmm. the thinking, and it was nice to be around people who are thinking differently. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's um, well, it's even like we do a lot of this online kind of learning and connecting and then um, talking. And then when we actually get in rooms together, I find it so energizing and mm -hmm. amazing. Um, like I met you at Fiona and Marcy's yes. workshop in Chicago. Yes. Um, yeah. And it was in, you, oh, I don't tell this story. Cause this is funny. I had listened to your, I had listened to your podcast while I was walking up there. And then I heard you talking behind me. I was like, Oh my God, you were just in my head. <laughs> was like, oh my God, I'm such a dork. <laughs> Um, oh, but that's so fun. <laughs> I was like, Oh, wow. I am like, yeah, that's me. Um, and, but it was like the energy in that room and in that space, right? Like, it's just, it's, um, it's just so amazing when we can come together. And I just, I always hope that there's more opportunities to come together yeah. and work together. And, and because I think, I think we're all doing wonderful, wonderful things and really challenging um, perceptions and thinking critically. And there just needs to be more um, mm -hmm. 
much, much more. But um, I think, you know, everyone's doing their own little segment, but it's just so cool when we kind of get together. Mm -hmm. Maybe I want to go on a trip. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Let's plan a retreat. <laughs> I'm, packing my, I'm packing my bags right now. There we go. I'm getting ready. Well, on our episode with Fiona, remember we were talking about our little street that oh, yeah. you and Fiona had talked about, I think, on when she was interviewing you or vice versa, I can't remember. And she was saying that Julie and I are creating a street and you two can be invited if you want to come live there. Yes. And, and it was going to be a court and there was a basketball net. That's all I remember about it. But she, yeah, because she was talking yeah. about you and we interviewed her. That's awesome. I want to live yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. So that's, we'll, we'll call it like, I don't know, Hayes 2.0 street. And no, and no biochemistry classes, unless you want to take them, right? Like, no, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. no, I, I did them. They're done. Yeah. I'll never do them again. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> that would be a nightmare to me. I, I liked biochemistry. It was straight chemistry. And that's mm, no, thanks. Well, moving away from biochemistry. Sorry. No, <laughs> I think that gives me trauma when we talk about science <laughs> courses in the university. But you were posting on your Instagram account, or maybe not you specifically, you can tell us more about that, about PCOS occurrence in trans community. And some of the statistics that were being posted were alarming to me because of the fact my privilege, I was totally unaware of those statistics. And really just showing how much, how little that I know and the probably those identifying in similar places as me know about what's going on in communities that we may not identify with. So we were just wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, some of that social media work and anything you wanted to add to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that statistic was alarming to me as well. And um Something that a listener may not know is that um, I have someone help me with my social media on Instagram, and um, the person that helps me is SJ Thompson, and they um, identify as non-binary, and um, this is something that is part of their lived experience, not PCOS, but just um, the different gender identity conversation, which is something that I'm still struggling with, like, okay, is this the right word? I'm in that really dumb kind of like elementary phase about it. And I, I, I remember trying to learn how to play guitar and I got so stressed because it was like so hard to get over this like hump. And I feel like I'm in the same space with like learning about gender. And I'm like, okay, I quit the guitar. I'm not going to quit this. I have to keep going and I have to feel uncomfortable. And so that's where I am. And I, so when you, you know, wanting to know more about it. I don't know more about it because what SJ has provided in my um, social media is something that I don't have that lived experience. And um, I love that about what SJ does for my social media and um, what SJ does then also for the people who are needing this part of the conversation. And um, it's just amazing I don't know why it's amazing. It's probably because of the privileged life that I've experienced. And, um, but it's amazing when someone has a lived experience, how they will allow, there's just the way the conversation is it. I could mm -hmm. tell the amount of um, difference and what the, that my Instagram feed was providing once they were starting to work with me, like the conversations in the comments have been so much deeper and therapeutic in a sense, um, as much as social media can be. Yeah. Um, 
And um, looking through the comments from that post um, in particular, which I can put a, give you all a link to put in show notes or something. People are like, what is this thing that we're yeah, talking about? Exactly. But, uh, and it was just a, the occurrence of PCOS within um, the trans community. And it was much higher than um, people who are, um, who identify as female. And um, the, the conversation was amazing because things that I wasn't even thinking about, like people, and I'm, I'm quoting this to say, like, I, I, you know, I'm just quoting what people were saying in my comments. And um, one of them was that people have thought about, like, I wonder if this is um, how the biological side to intersex or to different genders, like this is that PCOS is more um, not necessarily a, a syndrome that needs to be fixed, but just a natural part of gender diversity. Right. Like, oh, I never would have thought of that. Like yeah. that is so... And I don't know, there's something about that that just seems so beautiful to me. Like, um, and I don't know, I, maybe I'm too Pollyanna about things, but like, I just like, that's so beautiful that, 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 I don't know, that there's like this meaning and there doesn't have to be meaning, but like, um, I don't know, I just thought it was really um, important and interesting. And so just want to say thank you to SJ for all the work they've been doing for me and helping me to be a better clinician. And then also just providing more, more importantly for people who are wanting to like feel more at home in their skin. Um, I'm super grateful for it. Wow. That's very cool. And it's probably generated such wonderful discussion. Like the way when you were saying that, I was like, wow, my mind is blown. I did. Yes. And that's so like, yeah, it's just like a different, it's like a pivot that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. And I can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah. That's, and, um, how I'm so far behind. That's the other part. I'm like, people have already been thinking about this for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I'm just getting started. So, um, so yeah, I want to make sure that I just name that I'm not an expert in that in any way. I'm totally in the early stages of this and I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah. Corey and I like to kind of wrap things up by asking you what is nourishing you right now? It can be in your personal life, your professional life, your alien life, anything. (laughs) Um, What is nourishing me? Um, I have something that's super like surface and then something that's not. So (laughs) it's summertime where I live right now. And um, I love sleep. Like I, that's the nap ministry speaks to me because of this, but like (laughs) I need a lot. I just did some of these, a lot of rest. And so I've been able to sleep um, and more because my kids are, um, not in school. So we don't have to start as early. And, um, my partner goes to work much earlier than me, but my kids are old enough that they can kind of like get their day started without me. And so I can kind of just wake up. Oh my goodness. That is totally nourishing me. Um, that's amazing. But, yes. It's totally amazing. It's not like I'm sleeping till 10 or anything, but it's just yeah. like seven 30 and it feels so good. Um, and honestly, the, what's nourishing me a lot right now is I have a, a group of very supportive um, colleagues near where I live. And um, whenever I am in a place of struggle or need um, help um, with like business, running a business that's fat positive, they're, they've been uh, amazing for me. And um, I'm just so grateful for their connection and support. And that is definitely nourishing. And we love to um, eat. <laughs> so like, because they're dietitians too, you know, we're like, yeah. of having fun food and Every once in a while, maybe some margaritas. But. <laughs> so cool. 
it's well, margarita it, season. It's yeah. Margarita. <laughs> yeah, it's summer here. So yeah. yeah. Today's our first day um, being finished school. Finished oh, school yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We've been done since the beginning of June where I live. So yes. so nice. But you go back in August, right? Yeah, mid to late August. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. We, we go back the Tuesday after Labor Day. Okay. Yeah. I'm still on my woohoo. We have nine weeks of summer. That's <laughs> so short. But it is so short. So yeah. short. Totally. So where do you want us to encourage folks to connect with you for those who have not connected with you yet? The best place is always my website, uh, juliedillonrd.com. And there you can find um, information about my podcast and my courses and how to work with me or just read my blog. Um, you can find that all there. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure we put all of that in our show notes, including that uh, Instagram post with the quote. And the yes, statistics. perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Julie. That, Thank wow, you. it flew by because it was just so amazing and nourishing and enlightening and inspiring and so thank you for that <laughs> well Corey and Lori I like am so I don't know I feel like I um got a lot out of talking to you so like I, I really appreciate it so much oh thank you Great. so that means you'll come back right yeah and that means will you all come on my show too of course oh, yeah <laughs> we can you. reunite we can reunite awesome, awesome. well thank you Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode.